TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up for a Chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Mara. And welcome to today's podcast. Now, today's podcast is a little bit contemplative, mm. and we thought it was quite necessary given the vein of the most of the last couple of weeks' podcasts, because what we're looking into are the different afflictions that, um, that, that, that I guess, cause pain in society and in our communities. And one of the biggest ones that we were talking about was depression. And I did some research last night, and the... Um, Cholesterol drugs currently are earning the greatest dollars worldwide for our pharmaceutical companies, very closely followed by antidepressants. And I thought that that was really fascinating because this one particular article that I read in Huffington Post said that um, pharmaceutical companies don't publish these studies that prove that antidepressants don't work. They only publish the studies that prove that they do. But 80% of people who have been tested to see whether whether antidepressant drugs work found they didn't work any better than a placebo, which I thought was really fascinating considering how many people I know who are on antidepressants for a world of different afflictions, including quitting smoking, um, including relationship breakdowns, traumas, um, you know, uh, kids money, with pain, money, pain. Um, yeah. obsessive compulsive disorder, um, anxiety, parents. Um, bipolar parents. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone blames their parents. Yeah, that's true. It's my mother. Yeah. It's always the mother that yeah. does. It's, it's, the it's the mother. Mm. Well, not, She's in, all, not in my case. My mum's beautiful. I think and all so our mine's nice. Beautiful. But, you know, mothers have always been given the, the, the bad rap. rap. Yeah, the bad yeah. rap. And we're mothers, you and me, yeah, Kimmy. Yeah. <laughs> And she, you're a mother to a dog, so your dog will be really blaming She's you. She's a soul mother. She's going to get it from everybody. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, Jet, my dog, does have bad ears, and I think he blames me. <laughs> He's not listening to <laughs> He's you. He's not listening to me. The man. Oh, sweet boy. So we wanted to we wanted to go down the rabbit hole on depression. Mm. We wanted to go down the rabbit hole on the drugs around depression. We want to talk about the food around depression. We want to talk about the causes and the environments and the cures and what opportunities exist for us around depression in the context of personal responsibility. You know, what can we do to increase our awareness and responsibility around depression and even identifying when depression darkens our door? Because, you know, the question that I'm asking right now, and for most of you guys who've listened to the podcast, you guys know that I was, you know, um, in the grips of depression for a long time. And I just, the question that I'm asking at the moment is, 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 is depression something that we are in constant battle with for the rest of our lives once we've had it? Or is depression something that can be cured? And Cindy and I were having a conversation just before we started the podcast and she raised a bloody potent point, bloody, bloody, <laughs> where she said to me, Kaza, when you were diagnosed with depression, did the doctor do a blood test? And my answer was flat no, because all I did was sit in his room and tell him I was going to kill myself. And he went, oh, here's Valium and here's Zoloft. Knock yourself out, go for it. 
And then I just wondered, actually, you know, just, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself now, if I mix that with cocktail, with a cocktail of alcohol and, um, just about anything else I could get my hands on, did he just actually give me a prescription of suicide there? Well, that, I think that's one of the side effects of some of these medications is the tendency to commit suicide mm. or violent behaviour. Mm. There's no tendency. That's, that's like saying try and sit on a chair. You I'll want be to half pregnant. You There's no tendency to commit okay. suicide, is there? Oh, no, there is. No, there is. There's the, the, there's the, the tendency there's the, to think. Yes, to there's the suicide. Okay. Oh, yeah, but I see you what you mean. Yeah, you suicidal yeah, yeah. tendencies. You don't think. Yeah, I don't know. That's suicidal, suicidal thoughts of ten- yes. tendency of thoughts. Yeah, suicidal. Yeah, suicidal yeah. thoughts. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. When, yeah. Whenever yeah. you hear someone talking um, that they have um, a mental disorder, you know, we're mental told health issue. Or, you're a me- mental health issue. Mm. We're always told it's a chemical imbalance in the mm. body, mm. but there's not one blood test that can prove this. That mm. can you don't go to your doctor, ask for a blood test to find out the chemical imbalance so you fix the chemical imbalance. You don't do that. Nobody has a chemical uh, or a blood test to have for a chemical imbalance in order to diagnose depression, anxiety, bipolar, nothing. Yet they give drugs for chemical imbalance such as the SSRIs, which is a new um, type of antidepressant that they use or they have been using for quite some time which is meant to fix the chemical imbalance in your brain, which is about serotonin. Well, how do they test for neurotransmitted activity then? Is that an EEG or E? What do they do with the brain? No, there's got to be a test for it, surely. Look, Google it. Google it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, move. Google it. (laughs) Like I I always ask this question because I kind of go, well, how can it be a chemical imbalance if we can't test it? I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, Mm. And no, there's, I mean... And I'm just using myself as the example, but I was a classic example of depression where there was there was absolutely no testing done whatsoever, and the um, prescriptions for Zoloft were handed out with ease. Mm-hmm. The only thing that the doctor told me was, "Don't try and take yourself off it. Um, you need to wean yourself off it." So that was the, that was the only guidance that I actually got, other than take one. I think it was one in the morning or one in the night or something. I can't remember what the prescription was, but that was the only directive that I got with it. And there was no um, – oh, and they suggested that I went and saw a counsellor to talk through whatever it is that I was going through at the time. But it's interesting, even um, studies when I was studying psychology, they said – and I'm just trying to remember to hope I get it, get it right – but they said that the combination of antidepressant drugs coupled with um, – desensitization or cognitive behavioral therapy, that combination was a combination that worked, but they had no statistics on it and they had no evidence that it actually worked. They just said that that's a good combination in order to, to heal somebody. Mm. Back in the old days, they used to use um, opiate um, type substances or more or amphetamines. And did they use the electric shock thing? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's one of the, <gasps> they used to use electric shock to help, um, but but they they use these because we actually have receptors in the brain that will will take these opiate and morphine or amphetamine type substances. That's why drugs work mm. it's because the body has a receptor. So the body will actually make its own in order to help you through pain or whatever it is. But what we do is instead of enhancing the body with good food and nutrition and giving it the nutrition that it needs in order to make these receptors, these um, chemicals that go into the receptor, mm. we rely on an outside source. So um, 
you know, we know that there are opioids in, in food. There are actually um, opioid-type substances in food, such as wheat, such as dairy. Um, also, um, green leafy vegetables have them. Um, so there are certain, we know that this is in food, which enhances and helps us with um, our brain activity. And when, when we start to understand why drugs work so well, but then drugs always have a side effect because they're not the perfect combination of what the body makes. Mm. So if you are filling your opioid um, receptors with drugs and you're not, your body is making them and not being able to help you, yourself and then you become addicted to that type of medication because the body has stopped doing what it should be doing yeah. and you're allowing the drug to do it. So, you know, like... I look at the statistics of depression um, and mental disorders that have happened um, over the last 20 years. Uh, and it was at a rate just, I think it was just 15 years ago, the rate of depression was at about run, one in 11. Was it because we weren't talking about it? Was it because we didn't have, um, a, we had a different type of diagnosis because, you know, the DSM, um, which is the Bible for psychiatrists and psychologists as to um, predicting whether you have a disease or not. You know, it's you've seen the diagnosis um, management um you seen that? It's a huge Bible, basically, and there's like 350 mental disorders that are now in it. Mm. And they're even giving shyness a disorder or mm. healthy eating mm. is orthorexia nervosa. Or, so they're giving all these new names, and if you have it, we have a drug for it. That's basically what they're, they're, they're saying. So um, oh, where was I going with that whole? One in 11 people. One had. in 11 um, had, had depression. Now it's one in five mm. are on some sort of um, antidepressant or anxiety medication or uh, uh, some sort of substance that helps them. Can I ask you, sorry, my love, no, yeah. so would it be fair to say depression is a blanket term for a whole lot of conditions like irritable bowel syndrome is to the gut? Is, is depression, because I'm looking here, there is no test for depression. There is no, nothing they can test. They will do things like um, he might have major concerns, he'll test for things like hypothyroidism. Um, he'll look at things like testing. They might do a brain scan to check if there's any um, a tumour causing problems. But there's a whole lot of tests that they do. They might do a blood test to see, but it's all related to other illnesses. Physical. Not, yeah, it's all physical. It's all physical. There's nothing here, and he said, um, there's nothing here actually saying that this is what, yes, you have got depression. Mm. So is depression a term that we use to cover a lot of mental illnesses that take us down the route of not feeling good about ourselves? Is that a Well, I think they've dissected all the mental illnesses now, like there's 300 and something in the DSM uh, manual, in this manual. So um, depression was probably once upon a time seen as a blanket, but now we've got anxiety, bipolar, which is just manic depression mm. where you go high one minute and low the next, you know. So all of these disorders have been um, segregated into different disorders and I guess they probably have, um, you know, visual symptoms or w when the, the person says to them, well, I feel like killing myself or I don't feel great or I'm depressed because my partner's left me or I'm this. And so well, depression can also just be lethargy or yeah. too much sleep, not enough sleep yeah. or having no interest in life. Like that can be seen mm. as depression. Can, can I make or can I ask you, Karen, because Karen's the one that has... Um, I don't know if admitted to or experienced, has experienced and understood yeah. depression. Whereas Cindy and I were talking before the podcast, I don't think either of us have, you know, we've been down, we've been very upset, but I don't think we've ever really, well, I've never been diagnosed with clinical depression. Do you think, Karen, the people listening to this podcast 
is someone that's in the realms of depression or is are we directing this to the support people around people that have depression? When you're in the depths of it, are you open and willing to listen to this? Because I think our conversation would be slightly different. But I'm just asking and inquiring that a lot of the time people that are listening to us are looking to help the loved ones or someone that they care about that have depression. And the couple of people that I know that have quite, you know, quite serious depression, they're not even in the realm of looking. That's my experience with it. Is that fear that we would be... And hopefully as they're coming out of it, perhaps, or as they're feeling a little bit better about life, is when you start looking for answers? Mm. It's an interesting question, that, because um, I think if we can get people at the beginning of, of, of feeling like they're going, you know, falling into the dark soup, and if we can get people at the end of falling into the dark soup, that's where we can make the biggest difference with this kind of podcast. Because when a person is in the depths of despair and depression, um, it is very difficult to actually see that there's another way to be. I've counseled thousands and thousands of people who they want they um, they want to they go they, they go to seek help for their depression, yet they're not willing at that point to do what it takes to help themselves. And you're dead right. When a person is in the middle of their depressive cycle or process that they can't hear anything because they don't want to. They're more committed to being depressed for whatever reason. They're more committed to that than what they are to healing. And therein lies, to me, the most unbelievable aha for me when mm-hmm. I, if I was listening to this part or even us talking about it, mm-hmm. to me is if I knew that, and yet I'm trying to help someone that's in there and they're not listening or they're not doing anything, it would be very frustrating. Mm. So I think a lot of this could also be focused at how to look after yourself when dealing with someone that you love has depression. Mm. How can I look after me? Because sometimes that is the beacon of light, Mm. I would imagine, for someone. And rather than, I've I've heard you talk about it before, when you've gone, you know, everyone's like, oh, poor Karen, she's been blown up. Oh, poor Karen, oh, poor Karen. And you played into it even more. Mm. And I'm not suggesting for a minute... Well, maybe we do. We manipulate it to, to oh, suit us. Oh, you bet we do. Yeah. <laughs> you can lay money on it. Mm. In fact, just about every person that I've I've met with that does have depression. I mean, of course, I will say this caveat in that if we knew better, we would do better. Mm. So when a person is in the grips of depression, if they knew how to do it differently and be successful at it and feel empowered, they would choose that if they knew. But they don't. So they choose depression instead as a way out or as, as, as a way of not being responsible or a way of not participating or for getting attention. And for people who choose that, the saddest part about it is because that is, is that they don't know what else is possible for them. So, yeah, you're right. In, in If you've got somebody in your life that you love who has depression, the best thing you can do is be a positive example of possibility by showing them that when you take responsibility, when you do participate, look at how awesome life can be and really um, allowing the person to see that rather than being less in front of the person in order to not make them feel bad, which is what I recall happening to me. And I know a lot of people that I've worked with, their family members will play small in their company because they don't want to make them feel bad that they're missing out. So the family members won't get all excited about, you know, winning 25 bucks on a scratchy or they won't, you know, get all excited because they're all going for a picnic and make a big deal out of it. They'll play it down because they're trying to match the energy of the depressed person in the home. Biggest mistake. 
biggest mistake a family member can make is to match the energy of a depressed person. Biggest mistake. Mm. It's, it's, it's not a case of ignoring the depressed person because you'd never want the depressed person to feel like they're an outcast because they feel like they're an outcast anyway, which is what's taken them down the rabbit hole of it. But if you can keep the person in your life that's depressed included with you and not hold back in terms of sharing who and what you are and what you're experiencing, you've got yourself a winning formula Mm -hmm. because you're showing the person, well, you know what? Life does go on. The sun does come up tomorrow. We are going to still living our lives. We're going to love you in spite of everything. We're going to be there in spite of everything. And, in, and, and we're going to show you that there's a whole new possibility available. And maybe do that without expectation. You know, if you're, if you're like for me, when, when my husband was in his depths of depression, I thought the best thing I can do is provide beautiful meals, put my essential oils on, take him for walks. Um, you know, do you think take him for walks sounds like a dog? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> put his leash on, his harness. But in a way, I kind of did that. And... But I remember getting frustrated at times, going, oh, for God's sake, how long does this take? Right? I got impatient. Yeah. And I guess from my perspective was more, you know, just, just it doesn't matter. He might get it today. He might get it in five years' time. It depends on your level of commitment to it, whether or not you're going to put up with that or be a part of that. But I would say do it because you want to do it, not because you think it's going to fix them or oh, make totally. them right tomorrow, you know. I think for somebody who's supporting people who are depressed, There's my business, your business, and universal business. And for the supporters, your job is to be in your business and live your life to the fullest and not be on eggshells around a depressed person because that doesn't doesn't help anybody. All that that does is create more of the same energy in the home. So my business as a supporter of a depressed person is to just be in my business and live an amazing life. The depressed person, that's between them and the universal business. There's a whole world of exchange going on between that person and universal business that we, if you're not depressed or never experienced depression, you could never relate to. Therefore, it would be very frustrating to actually look on somebody like that and think, oh, for God's sake. Uh, it is. Yeah, it is. I can imagine. And Matt felt exactly the same way with me. Mm. You know, for six years he was watching me. And initially, you know, for the first couple of years he was there to support and love and cherish and rescue um, but he even got to the point where he was like, you know, hun, you are doing this to yourself. I'm done. I've had enough of you. And it was, I was ready to hear that at the time. Had Matt said that to me a year earlier or even six months earlier, I would have packed my stuff. I would have left and I would have gone out and found somebody else to rescue me. Or maybe he did say, and you just didn't hear it. Oh, look, it's possible. Mm, it's mm. possible. Who knows? Mm. There's probably a lot I didn't hear from Matthew at those t- in those days. <laughs> What, what I find interesting is that whenever um, I write something on Facebook about depression, that, you know, maybe we can look at the physical body and then it will help the mental body and, or the, uh, sorry, the mental um, part of, the, of, of yourself. There's always abuse. There's always someone saying, you don't know what it's like mm. to not be able to get out of bed. You don't know what it's like um, where you can't be bothered going for exercise. You don't know what it's like trying to find food um, that's healthy because that's the last thing that's on my mind when I'm, you know, I'm depressed. So sometimes you need to ask the right question. Well, can I just can I yes, just uh, go for it? And I'm going to let you finish in a second, but I just want to say something about that. What actually actually makes me giggle? <laughs> <laughs> if a depressed person is really depressed and they're not doing it for a secondary payoff, 
they wouldn't have even responded to your Facebook page. Uh-huh. So the fact that a depressed person is responding to your Facebook page is a depressed person in search of attention and acknowledgement. I'm depressed. Feel sorry for me. Life is so bad. Mm. You don't know what it's like because I can tell you something now, hand on heart, a genuinely depressed person who, and for me, my initial depression was based on trauma. Mm. So a genuinely depressed person who wasn't in search of it at the time would not even be on bloody Facebook, Mm. much less put the effort into responding to a post saying you don't know. Mm. Absolutely. That's That's the the part that makes me giggle because that person or whoever those people are that abuse you, you know what, get excited because they're on their way out. They might be five years away from it, but they are on their way out because the fact that they're actually now fighting to defend their depression and make themselves right about it, <laughs> they're, starting to rea- they're starting to realise it's wrong. Otherwise, they would have nothing to defend. Interesting. That's so interesting. So in their own minds, they're going, oh, this isn't working for me anymore. Oh, I'm not getting the the attention anymore. Oh, people are starting to hold me responsible for stuff, so what I'm doing isn't working for me anymore. Damn, 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 damn. Bugger it. I'll just get in behind it and defend it. It's an illness. And it I is. can't help it. It's not my fault. How dare you? And, um, and that's what you get. It's it's quite, a, it's quite like yeah. I read them and I go, oh. And I remember this one lady just going, right, I'll just go off my antidepressants and kill myself. That's what she answered. Wow. Desperate for attention. Bless yeah. her heart. Oh, my gosh. That's interesting. And another comment on yours about it would be like, putting on no, no clothes and running around the block naked oh, yeah, at yeah. midnight yeah. when all you want to do is sleep. Like they were making yeah, comments really, like that. It was really bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I decided to do is sometimes when you ask the right question, you'll get the right answer. Yes. And so what I did was I actually asked a question. And the question I asked that um, was basically, so, the, did you wake up one day and just couldn't get out of bed? Or did it take some time to get to that point? Did you wake up one day and you were just depressed or were there symptoms such as anxiety preceding the depression? If the conditions were not instant, then why did you not listen to your body's cries for help and something different and do anything different? So my question was basically, does it just happen? No, it doesn't. What about people, though, that all of a sudden get a phone call, their husband's been killed and they just can't get out of bed the next day? No, that's grief. That's different. That's different. But is that what starts? Like, you know, one day, Tuesday morning, you're dropping the kids to school, all of a sudden your life changes in a phone call. Mm. Yeah. Um, so to me sometimes, and that can lead you down the path when you start realising that he's never coming back or there's all that. Does that? I'm still going to say it's a choice. And I'm going to stick behind that because even if you get that phone call, yes, you go into massive grief and yes, you could be grieving for five years. You know, when Gre- when Greg passed away, when my partner committed suicide, I went into massive grief. Mm. But I chose depression. I willingly, cognitively chose depression as my way of dealing with that. And grief can lead to depression if you choose it. But there are a lot of people who grieve for somebody who's passed and don't go down the rabbit hole That's of depression. True. So the people who choose depression, it's a, it's, it's a cognitive choice and you know when you're choosing it. You absolutely know. You may not know how to do anything other than that, but you absolutely know and it doesn't happen overnight. It's not an instant thing. Mm. Even for me with the like somebody being called to say that their partner's uh, being Mm. killed in a car accident, that's trauma. Mm. And me being blown up, that's trauma. Mm. Greg killing himself, that's trauma. Jodie dying, that's trauma. I think 
all of those sorts of things, they're um, unexpected happenings in life. But there are people who don't who don't um, go down the path of depression mm. in, as a way of dealing with it. Mm. And we did a podcast on grief because I was going to ask you, well, mm. how long? You know, how long do you give someone to be in that grief state? There's no there's no set message or yeah. set rule. But if you are interested in understanding that side and how to come out of that, then there was a beautiful podcast we did on grief. Mm. We're now talking, and I'm I'm really fascinated by your thing of this being a choice, mm. because I remember when Danny was so flat and so down after his sister took her life, and just was listless, didn't have that energy. You know, obviously he was in a phase of of grief. When we went to the doctor, he didn't take any tests. He didn't do anything. He just said to him, Danny, this is a chemical imbalance. Your serotonin levels are high. This is not an antidepressant, but I'm going to put you on serotonin, which made Danny feel like, oh, good, I'm not depressed, but I just need this bridge to get me through this feeling. And I know we've touched on this previously, and and I think, Karen, you were the one that said to me that, you know, sometimes these drugs or these medications or these methods put us, it becomes a bridge, but you're still saying if we do, if we use that as a bridge, you're still going to have to feel it and face it at some point. Mm. So, are you lengthening the process mm. by taking an antidepressant mm. rather than you've got to feel to heal? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I definitely do think that. I wrote an article for a newspaper not long after I started to come out the other side, and what I remember saying in the article was, "We've got to be prepared to sit in the pain." You know, you can't. You, we we can't. We can't ignore it. What we resist persists. So if we're in pain, we've got to be prepared to sit in it, experience it, and take whatever is there for us to learn as a result. You know, I have a very philosophical view on um, pain and suffering now over and above what I did back then, only because I'm more educated about it. Um, but I think for the most part, we we don't want to be in pain and the people who love us don't want to see us in pain. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that people do is like, well, let's get you to a doctor. Let's get you sorted out. Let's not have to struggle with this. You know, I've got a headache. Let's get a Panadol or, you know, I've got period cramp. Let's get, um, you know, Nurofen or whatever. So we don't want to be in pain. We don't want to see others in pain. So we just go to whatever we're educated to do to resolve it or to relieve it. And antidepressants, from a society's perspective and the, and the statistics and the financial mm. statistics and the income that's being generated is the absolute evidence we are a we are we are a um, pill popping society. We mm. are, and we are a society in pain. Mm. We are a society that is suffering. You know, you look at how many people one in five now, Cindy, mm. are taking antidepressant drugs, mm-hmm. and that includes our kids. Mm. So we are a society. We are a society in pain, looking for relief. Has society become more painful, or has it always been painful? And now we focus on it more. Do we create more of a, like someone said to me years ago, you know, child abuse or being sexually abused never happened as much as it does today in the past. And I'm, my question was, well, did it or was it just not spoken about? Well, I know what happened in my family mm. and my, my great-grandparents and what they did. So what? Oh, they sexually abused their grandchildren. Mm. I know that. I know that for sure. So I just even remember. and that was years ago. That was back in the forties, fifties, sixties. And I remember um, even as a teenager. Today, it's almost um, cool to have a therapist. 
Whereas even when I was a teenager, it was more like if you had a therapist or you had to go to counselling, you were, you were quack, mm, you were mm, weird, you were sick, yeah. you were wrong. So therein lies the question around depression. I'm sure through all of time, you, you, people have been in pain, people have lost loved ones, people have been hurt, they've had disease. There's, mm. Are we becoming now society so hell-bent now on discussing everything that now we're getting paralysis by analysis because we're now looking into everything and we're trying to make everything right and trying to make food easier we're trying to make drugs yeah. make it easier is it you know what shit happens to everyone and i'm sorry to shit to swear but it does mm. everybody goes through their traumas it's not what happens to you in life that matters it's how you handle it mm. and how you handle it is all based on what you're out there learning and what you've learned as, as a child through a parent or how you educate yourself. Like, you know, you've said, Karen, that, you know, if we knew better, we would do better. Well, you did the best you could do at the time. Yeah, sure. But now that you know better, I know that you're, the way you view all these things will be far different. Imagine having that knowledge back you know, when Greg um, committed suicide. And, you know, and we always say this, oh, we look in hindsight and we go, if I knew then what I know now, I would have coped so much better. But is this whole progression us getting to where you are now, Karen, you know, where you can go back and analyse what had happened and understand what had happened and, and if it happens again, you know exactly what to do and you know how to search for the, for the right answers. And the way we separate the head from the body, mm-hmm. you know, we go, you've got depression. Well, what's happening in the physical body for you to have depression? And, and this is the thing is that we've separated the, the head you know, anything above the neck we go is a mental disorder. Anything below is a physical disorder or a chemical disorder. Perhaps it's all combined and we have to be looking at both ways. So the mind will help the body, as we know, in the biology of belief. Mm. And, you know, what yeah, you yeah, yeah. believe will, what, what, what do you say? What persists, what is it? What we resist persists. persists or what we believe happens. The same with the, the physical body. If we get the physical body working well, then the, the brain will start to work well. It's, they're together. Mm. And I don't understand why we have to separate them. And in actual fact, we know that people with depression die of heart disease, cancer and diabetes far, um, at a greater rate than people who don't have depression. Mm. So is it the physical body that's affecting the mind or the mind affecting the physical body? Mm. It's, a lovely, Interesting. it's a lovely question there. Yeah. I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, you know, um, the, the, the concept of depression really, when we really pull it apart and have a look at it. What is depression? Depression is a recreated, consistent thought system that leaves the human in a constant and perpetual state of sadness and disconnection. Now, that disconnection and sadness, you don't wake up with it. You go to bed with it, but when you wake up in the morning, there's nothing. So it has to be recreated in order for it to persist the next day. Mm. It has to be re-established. It has to be reconnected to as a way of being the next day. Mm. So the minute you open your eyes, I've just clicked then, that if you wondered what that noise was. (laughs) (laughs) The minute you open your eyes, you actually, a, a depressed person has to recreate that experience for themselves. So every morning and every day they're actually choosing it. And... It's a consistent and perpetual way of being that leaves the person feeling disconnected and a sense of sadness. And 
a depressed person, even on antidepressants, although I've got to say, when I was on the Zoloft, when I was taking antidepressants, I was vague. Mm. I was vague. And I like to think I'm a fairly intelligent person, but I felt this this fog. Yeah, it was actually. Mm. It was this this fogginess that um, surrounded me every day that kind of made me feel a bit um, uh, distant and had a distant sensation to it which didn't allow me to think clearly in order to make other choices. Mm -hmm. So I was only, and this was the thing about the antidepressants that I decided to get off them when I was on them was because it didn't allow me to be able to make other choices. And it wasn't, it was choices even just about what I wanted for breakfast or choices about what I wanted to do for the day. Didn't allow me the freedom of choice. It just kept me in this constant perpetual state of fognicity. Well, that's the negative side of it. It kept you in this, but someone else would be sitting there going, oh, great, I don't have to connect. I don't have to relate. I don't have to be present. Well, and, but but see there that you've nailed it. You've absolutely nailed it because it stops the person from participating. And when we don't participate, we then have that, we end up with that disconnection and the sense of sadness because we're living in a world that we're completely disconnected to and from and we're not participating in it. Mm. And then, of course, isn't only the natural um, response to something like that being, oh, well, I want to leave. If nobody loves me and I'm not loved and I'm not participating and I'm excluded and I'm disconnected, well, I'm just going to leave. And no one will care anyway. No one will care anyway. You know, you remember when you were a kid and you went to school oh, yeah. and you had no friends? Mm-hmm. All you wanted to do was go to a new school? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same, same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> same, same. And and I like the fact that in one of our podcasts, I think we said very briefly, you know, stress, I love this quote, stress is a perverted relationship with time. And I loved what you said, Karen, depression is a perverted relationship with self. Mm. And I think that's where I've Look, we, we all have depressive tendencies. I, I would even say the most positive people on the planet can have a depressive tendency if you want to. Like things can get you down, things can get you over. And sometimes it's not, like for me personally, when Danny's sister died, then we lost a whole lot of money in our house and then we, the car had an issue and then the cat got put down and then there was one thing. And the thing that tipped me over the edge was tripping up going to the laundry and falling and cutting all up my shin and falling onto the clothesline. And I sat in a heap and went, what else can go possibly wrong? And that's when I tipped over. So it was like, to me, it was a, it was one thing. It wasn't just one thing. And sometimes when we get depressed, it feels like, I I, I don't know, I'm just saying this, but when I went down that path, it wasn't just one thing because sometimes you can cope with one thing or you can kind of focus yourself through that. But it was just this, and then one thing, and then another thing, and then another thing, and then all of a sudden it's like I cannot take any more. And whether me physically creating that opportunity to fall up the steps, did I do that on Was that rather than looking, oh, no, I just tripped. Well, other days I've never tripped. So was it just the fact that I tripped and then fell in a heap and had a cry? And I'll never forget my therapist at the time saying, don't look at crying as a bad thing. It was a release. And I think I just let out all this emotion. Also, it was quite freaky. On that day, a girlfriend I hadn't seen for six months was knocking on the door while I was in tears, sitting in a heap in the laundry, feeling very sorry for myself now. Walked in with a bottle of wine and went, I just had this urge to ring you and come and see you. Oh, bless. It was quite freaky. But let me say this, there was another lady that I had met, a Māori lady in New Zealand. She'd lost, and I can't remember the exact things, but let me just say this. Her husband had died. Her daughter had been killed in a car accident. One of her daughters had been sexually abused by her uh, by a family member. Um, 
there was another child with special needs. Like if you look at all of those things, you would go, holy heck. But she, I would never have known that until someone told me, you've got no idea what that woman's been through. She had a relationship with it of it is what it is. And I'm going to choose to be in this space. She was so beautiful, so wise. I loved being in her energy. Yet when I found out more about her, I thought, how on earth can she possibly be happy knowing everything that's gone on in her life? It, it intrigued me. And it brings it back to that point of you saying it's a choice. And it's a, and it's a habituated choice. You know, we can all have times where life throws us a bunch of curveballs day after day after day after day after day. But eventually at the end of a week or two weeks or three weeks or a month, you come out the other side and you go, oh, for goodness sake, I've been down there, you know, I've been feeling down in the dumps for long enough, it's time for me to pick myself back up again. I think the distinction, the, the distinction with depression occurs when you recreate the choice over and over and over and over and over again, which then lays down a very strong, well-worn neurological pattern in the brain that says, when I wake up, I will think X, Y, and Z, which will then make me feel X, Y, and Z, and then the body will respond to that, however that responds. And you actually recreate that for yourself every day, and then you go to bed with it, and you wake up in the morning, and you recreate that for yourself. And I think it's that that then, well, I don't think I know, that, that that's that then what creates what we now diagnose as depression. And do you think, oh, sorry, interrupting you, but I'm just going down this other path of when you are in that space, let's say your partner's walked out on you and you thought you were going to marry them or whatever, and you sit there and you've got girlfriends that go, asshole, bastard. Um, you're and swearing. You're, you're swearing. Sorry, but that's what you'd say as a Too protection light. mechanism. Probably a little bit worse. <laughs> a little bit harsher. Yeah, a little bit harsher. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is, is that, it's, it's okay to have a bleat and a, and a thing, I think, at times and to feel sorry for ourselves for a moment. I don't think there's a problem with that. No. But if you're constantly surrounding yourself with people that have that same energy and that same thing, whereas I find when I'm down in the dumps and I talk to you both or if, and two women like you that you actually listen to me, you you listen and then you – but you don't – neither of you ever go into, oh, life sucks, oh, isn't that a bitch, I can't believe it, oh, God, <laughs> you poor, thing, poor, poor, whoa, whoa, whoa. You both go into, wow, what, have you looked at what you're eating, sweetie? Or you'll make me something. Or, or you might turn into and go, you know, sometimes you've got to sit there and ask yourself, who am I being in this moment? And you give me strategies mm. on how to deal with it when I can't think for myself in that moment. That, to me, is a key of being a support person of someone. If you can't help the person, then maybe investigate ways, tools, strategies, essential oils, food, nutrition, all those things to support the person through that rather than, like you said, buying into and staying at that vibrational level. Mm. Is that a way to help heal society's approach to depression, that we don't all buy into the fact that it's a condition or it's a... I think so. I think so. I think that we can, I think we can put a lot of energy into making something out of nothing. And I don't suggest, and please don't hear that the wrong way, in that our experiences are not nothing. Our experiences are real. Um, but I think that, society, that that I think that our medical industry has gone ahead and created a series of drugs and medication to medicate for life. Death is as much a part of life as life is a part of life. Pain is a part of life and growth as much as life is a part of life. These are all experiences that are a part of life. And as you say, Cindy, our body is designed to deal with these things. We just have to give it the ability to do that in a wholesome, nutritious way. 
And I think same, the same is true with our mental processes. We are going to grieve. We are going to go through painful times. We are going to go through separations. We are going to experience death. We are going to experience loss. We are going to experience those things. You know, being blown up, no one would never expect that that would actually be a part of life. But in today's society, it actually is. Mm. You know, experiencing loss through terrorism and things like that, it, it, it's a part of life. The circumstances, I think this I think this is the thing that I really want to get out of this, is that the circumstances might be different. I might have been blown up. Not everybody's been blown up. I might have had suicide. Not everybody's had suicide in their life. Somebody loses a grandparent. Well, for the most part, we're going to experience that. Somebody loses a parent. For the most part, we're going to experience that. So there are certain things that we are going to experience and there are some things that we're just not going to ever imagine could happen in, in our lives. But So the experiences are different. The package that our experience that, that, that the feelings comes wrapped in are different, but the feelings are the same. If I lose a dog, to me, that's world earth shattering stuff. If I lose one of my babies, and when I lost Dolly, my little Maltese, you know, that was earth shattering, and that was a month on the lounge. You know, I just honestly thought, can you just pack me up in a box and put me in there with her because I'm just not going to survive this. Mm. So. Even though our experiences are different, the feelings are the same. So it's part of life. Those feelings are a part of life. And our job is to sit in the experience, not resist it, but to sit in it, participate in it, because it's a part of life. And if nothing in our life is a mistake, how can pain be a mistake? How can suffering be a mistake? I know we don't see it at the time that it's occurring. I really get that. But there is always an opportunity for us to become more as a result of our experiences. That's another choice. If we don't numb them. And the way we numb them is by taking medication, medication, or drinking, or drinking, or, or food. Mm. There are many ways that we numb those experiences, and sometimes we have to experience them in order to move to the next level. Otherwise, we just sit. At, you know, this life is about growth. It's about learning. It's about education. It's about love and joy. And 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 when you numb yourself with food or alcohol or drugs or medication. You, you don't get to experience life at its fullest. I want to tell you something that I came up with the other day, and goodness only knows where it came from. I was speaking on on stage, and what I was saying, I was having a very similar conversation, Cindy, and I was saying that from a psychological perspective, we are, well, from a humanistic perspective, we're part of the universe, and the universe is constantly expanding. So the soul and the, and the, and the deepest part of us is in constant search of expansion. Now, because we're in constant search of expansion, there are those of us who will study to expand. There were those of us who will learn and educate ourselves and use knowledge as a way of expanding ourselves. And for the most part, most of us, you know, always want to grow. We always want to use our life as an opportunity for growth. So from a psychological perspective, growth and expansion equals living. That's life. At the deepest level of us, growth and expansion equals life. At the deepest level of us, um, death equals stagnation. When we stop, that equals death. And from the deepest psychological perspective and the primal part of our brain, when we stop, that equals death. So we can still be alive but experiencing death, if that makes sense. Yeah. So every experience that we experience in life 
is designed to is is designed to perpetuate growth and expansion because that is the entire human experience here is about growth and expansion because we are part of an expanding universe and the universe inside of us is a, is a, it's an expanding universe when that universe inside of us stops expanding it dies it starts to die off and we know that that's true from a vibrational frequency perspective because when we put ourselves under the magnetic magnetic resonance imaging scanning machines parts of the body or organs in the body that are dying have a very dense vibrational frequency and they can measure that so when the body stops expanding and the body stops growing and stops living it starts to die off the vibrational frequency decreases and of course we get sick and then eventually we die much younger and hence the heart diseases and the mm. heart attacks and mm. so on with people who are depressed because they've started to put themselves into a state of death so so is it the chicken or the egg is it the chicken or the, the egg? egg this is the thing we've mm. got to understand it it's interesting um that there are clues that you are going down the the line of depression and it could be waking at night with a little bit of anxiety it could be um that you're not feeling well your physical body's not doing well so your body actually gives you clues mm. that you are going down that track and it's about listening to those those clues but we've forgotten how to do that we numb it because we take a pill mm. um we look at what's happening in our body as far as feeling and we don't think about the function that's happening and so we we go let me numb that feeling and everything will be okay and it's interesting that when i asked that question on facebook people said things like this you know like i had one person say like i'm bipolar but i mostly suffer from depression i am worse the more additives and chemicals um i eat the problem is when i am depressed i don't care about myself yeah mm. interesting yeah so i don't do what i need to do to get better i believe there is such a thing as a diet of depression i think if anyone ate crap filled with chemicals and additives high and um bad fats and bad carbs no fruit and veggies that is it would make you depressed mm. Mm. Uh, i have also noticed in my son that if he eats artificial colors and flavors the next day he has a bad sad response wow interesting isn't it and and you know i, I just want to tell you a story and i probably haven't spoken to you girls about it but um my son is a very quiet young man who when he comes home like he trips away and then he comes home he will spend a lot of time in his room just watching videos or he just doesn't seem to communicate with Howard and I on a on a on a big basis anyway he's just come back from Canada about, about 7 weeks ago now and he's starting to have male pattern baldness which is really hard for a young man mm. and i noticed you know he was always flicking his hair forward and always playing with his hair or he had a hat on and i said to him mate why don't we do something about this so the first thing we did was we went looking at um places where he could um get help so all the big clinics you know there's ashley and martin and all those they all gave drugs mm. they all gave medications and guess what one of the side effects was baldness no permanent imp- impotence oh jesus oh <laughs> that's not good for a young man No. No, no, no. I so I, like I said, you know, if the if the drug is worse than you know what you're trying to cure, I just forget it. So we moved on from there and and I started to look around and I noticed that autoimmunity is a big part of alopecia and alopecia is loss of hair. So I said to him, "Well, you know, I know genetically you've got no hope." <laughs> yeah. But let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. Let's go on um a grain-free diet um and basically go 
where we're eating real foods. There's no more pastas, no more breads, which is one of his favorite foods and what he was eating a lot in Canada. So over a period of time, I noticed he was coming downstairs more. I noticed that he, oh, wow. this was amazing. He started to bring his computer downstairs and work while I was in the kitchen. He started to interact with mm. Howard and I in amazing ways, but I didn't think about mm. it. And he said one day to me, like, and this was only a week ago, he said, I'm so happy, Mum. I've never been this happy. Wow. He said, oh, I'm really just... content as to where I am now in my life. And and I just thought he was getting, you know, he's 24 and he's getting older and, and life's good for him. And then, um, but it's no different to what it's been. Mm. To me, you know, he's still doing the same thing he's always done, mm. but he just seemed more content. So I didn't really think too much about it, but I was really happy in my heart that he was content. Then... Tania had to be picked up from the airport. Now, I would normally fight with my son, Tania being my youngest daughter. I would fight with my son because I couldn't do it to go and pick him up, pick her up. He suggested, because I was doing my health retreat, he said, Mum, I'll go down and pick her up. I won't leave because he was leaving for a three-month trip. He said, I won't leave till the next day. I'll go pick her up and, and, and bring her home. And I went, okay. Oh, wow. And then Tanya and I were sitting down that night. She'd been away for three months and we're sitting down that night and we were just kind of talk, catching up on, on what her life had been like. And she said, by the way, Mum, what's broken on? I've never, <laughs> had, I've never had such an amazing conversation oh, with really? him in my whole life. We talked the whole way home from the airport. I went, really? Didn't think any more of it. A couple of days later, I'm talking to his mates. And one of his mates said to me, Cindy, I'm feeling really tired and exhausted. And, and you know, this is a 20-year-old kid. And he said, what have you got broken on? Wow. He's got more energy than us. He sits out on that surf for five hours, whereas we're tired in an hour. He's and on. He's on. God. You know, there's a beautiful thing here. Um, I was just looking at this. We're all looking at the negative aspects of a mm. drug, but there's... A love drug. There's a life mm, drug. Yeah. That's the drug I'd rather be on. This this quote here. Romantic love is mental illness, but it's a pleasurable one. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It's a drug. It distorts reality, and that's the point of it. I, I think that's yeah. amazing. It Being is. healthy is a drug. I get a kick. I get a buzz when I get back from a walk. I, mm. That's the drug I want to be on. If it, if it's considered that something that distorts reality, when I come back, all of a sudden I can beat anything, you know. And but, you know, gambling is a mental illness mm. unless you're winning. Yeah, only when you're losing is gambling a, a mental illness. Mm. Isn't that amazing? And, and it is. And and what what I I would like to tell people what I believe is happening is that it's not that he's getting his hair back. He's getting his life But back. he's getting his life back because he's he's actually gone off foods that probably were causing um, a problem with his his physical health and then causing because alopecia is there's something wrong with your physical health, which we're now learning. But the most fascinating of all is he calls me into the bathroom just a couple of days ago and he says, Mum, my hair's not falling out anymore. It used to fall out in just droves. He says, it's not falling out anymore. It feels really different. And he says, look. New growth. I've got new growth. And, he, you know, <gasps> and I just went, Holy well, darling, we've only been doing this, you know, seven weeks now. You just have to keep going. Um, and you, you cannot, you know, you cannot change what we're doing and you can't just bring in pasta and breads and cereals. Not that he ate cereals, but that's all part of it. But I, I just... I had the realisation that if you put the effort in as a family with someone mm. and maybe my son, without realising it, 
was a bit depressed with his life and spent his life in his bedroom and spent his life, you know, on social media and, and watching videos. And when you allow the physical body to get better again, then the mental brain starts to get you know, it starts to think, I, life's good, life's great. I, I want to interact with my family and friends, you know. I You've just... got your own natural endorphins are creating that feeling. Yeah. Well, when you think about you think about our kids that are, you know, the ADD and the ADHD mm. and all the behavioural issues that happens with our kids, you change their diet and you're now you're, you're living with a different child. The same would definitely be true with adults. So what sort of foods, let's get some strategies and tools here. What sort of foods would you be... So, and, and we all know, try and go chemical-free, try and reduce processed foods and all that. But, Cindy, is there anything in particular that you think would be a great way? To me, I'm just thinking of, you know, meat and three veg might be a good start. You it's know, a great like, start. Yeah. If you're a meat eater, that's a great start. Yeah. Meat and three veg. I just mean keep it simple, a, a typical strategy that we always all talk about. Maybe. Well, I, I love Sean Croxton. Mm. Sean Croxton says, Jeff, yeah. just be a Jeffer. Just eat real food. Mm. that's it but is breakfast cereal people are thinking breakfast cereal is a real food they think bread is a real food the thing is that what we're learning is that while we can be jerfers and eat real food some of our real foods have been chemically hybridized by a chemical that if someone swallows it or is poisoned by it they suggest not to give like um um what am i trying to think of um resuscitation because you will die giving the resuscitation. It is so toxic. So even our real food this is causing. So my thing is start getting out into your local community and do local local foods, seasonal foods. Um, find a butcher that, you know, you can trust that's feed, feeding, has, they've got grass-fed food, not grain-fed. These are the things that we've gone so far away from in our life as far as feeding our physical body. And once you feed your physical body, you can feed your mind. So really, I think it's about, it's about you know, really looking at things that are real foods and that we can start eating again and not eating the same food over and over and over and over, over again, such as, you know, we eat wheat every minute of the day for breakfast. We have breakfast cereals and we have a sandwich and then we have pasta. And perhaps looking at those um, foods that you're eating way too many of and get rid of them for some time and start eating foods that you maybe haven't been eating, such as meat and veg instead of pasta and cream um, and mushroom sauces, such as a salad and meat for lunch instead of a sandwich. And for breakfast, let's start eating eggs again and start going back to the way foods used to be. So in that's in its simplicity. But Kim, I, you know, like I use oils for my moods as well. Mm-hmm. So there are some oils that just give me... I had this feeling of calm. Mm. Like last night, um, I, I was so tired last night and I went home and I had a shower and then I did a body boost with lavender. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I, I went to bed at 8.20 and I slept just so beautifully. It was it was like this blissful, peaceful sleep. And this morning, you know what I was like. Mm-hmm. I was like this hyperactive little kid. I was so excited to be here and I, I wanted to jump up and down and I just had all this energy because mm-hmm. the, last night I was really exhausted and, and that beautiful sleep just reinvigorated me. But I believe it's the lavender mm-hmm. that enabled me to have the sleep because you know what's really important in in. Um, with depression is to is you must get sleep and mm. it should be three hours before midnight 
and you must have sunlight and you should be outside and you must see nature and you must put your your feet on nature not just always wearing shoes so we actually know these are things that empower the physical body to empower the mind so tell me what well what well we I think use. there's there's different types of depression as in different different ways that we're depressed so some people when they're depressed get very irritable and quite on edge and you know a little bit antsy and that sort of thing and they're they're just they're kind of wired mm. and so I would go for the more sedative oils and if you're looking at 28 then the instant calm is beautiful for that um, and, and it's got your chamomile, your lavender, um, sandalwood, the very nurturing, calming oils. Um, if I'm someone who, and you're saying sleep's really important, it is, but mm. for a lot of people when they're depressed they'll sleep during the day, which puts their whole circadian rhythms out and therefore they're sleeping too much, and in which case I'd be going for more uplifting euphoric oils, which have things like geranium, um, bergamot, and, and interestingly enough, Three of the best oils for any form of depression is neroli, which is like the rescue remedy of essential oils, rose and jasmine. Now, they are the three of the most expensive oils as well. Um, rose is around four fifty, and jasmine and neroli are around that $300 mark. We have just released, they haven't actually gone onto our website, but we've just got the pure forms of all three of those. Jasmine in particular is one oil that they say with depression is fantastic. It is one of the best oils whether you're an irritable, angsty type or whether you're a sedative, lethargic type because it helps boost self-confidence. So for me, I'd be looking at instant calm if I was irritable and angsty and if I was lethargic and listless, then I'd be going for our courage and confidence blend because it's interesting, those are the oils in each of those blends. But it's not to say that you're going to snort it and take a sniff and, hello, I'm happy. It's it's a tool. It's a it's, it's a, part of a routine, it's a part of part the of a ritual yep. of self-healing. Yeah. And people that are going to want to use these oils, and that's why I think the Body Boost is one of the most extraordinary things you could embrace. And again, you might want to tell someone who's depressed around you to do this, but unless they're willing to take responsibility or, as Karen said, they're coming out, they may not be prepared or be in that state. So in which case, do it for them. Mm. As in, do it for yourself mm. so that you are able to participate and be that person that you would like to see them be. Be the, be the change you want to see, so take care of you. And sometimes we're presented with depressed people in our life as a, as a direct um, reminder to look after your own self. You know, I think sometimes we're presented with illnesses and problems in our lives or people with those illnesses and problems as a direct check-in to how you're looking after yourself and what you're doing for you. And that's why I find essential oils are such an extraordinary anchor. When you understand that smell is very closely linked to our emotions, that we are very connected to our emotions and we can have a smell and have an instant memory or association to something, they become incredible triggers and anchors to create a new experience or a new neurological pathway or a new way of being. When you understand the science behind essential oils and smell, I just I get very excited. For me, it's mm. it's always been my anchor, and my kids know when because I've done it for them. I've whenever they've gone irritable and foul, I'll put a bath on with instant calm. Um, now, if I'm getting irritable or stressed, or even Jacob yesterday said, "Mom, the house is a bit stressful lately. <laughs> Which oils are you going to put in there?" And I hadn't even thought about it in that moment. You know, I'm going through a bit of a tough time at the moment financially with a couple of challenges and I'm thinking you know I'm in this whole thing and I'm eating okay 
But the one thing I do every day for everyone else, I hadn't even thought about putting my oils on for me. So sometimes by being that for other people, they can also be that reminder and reflection for you when you need it. And I think you're right, Karen, when you're in the depths of it, you don't necessarily think about doing that. But we can be that adjunct, Mm. that conduit, that tool for someone else when they're going through it. And guess what? If they're living, they're breathing. (laughs) And essential oils will have an effect. It's the one tool that crosses the blood-brain barrier instantly by inhaling. So stick a vaporizer in their room. Use a spritzer around them. Put a bath on for them. They might go, it doesn't matter or they don't care. But you're able to contribute in some form of positive way. And if nothing else, I feel better when I put the oils on. I think what's important here um, is that we need to understand maybe how the body whispers um, and then eventually screams at you um, and that depression is not something that just happens and that start to listen to the body and start fulfilling um, rituals such as oils and food and, and getting outside and getting sunshine and being around positive people and, and, and looking at all of these things so you do not get to this point um, of depression. If you are at the point of depression, it, it's probably about slowly starting these rituals and, and food changes and, and, and getting outside and, and having the support behind you. So no matter where maybe, you... Maybe just to interrupt you. Yeah, go Maybe the first question you've got to ask yourself is, do I want to get out of this? Yeah, good point. Because you're not going to take on those rituals and things if you want to stay there. I'm only saying that based on what you said, Karen. Mm. You make a choice every morning when you wake Mm. um, to either recreate that or what am I going to do differently to get out of that? So, yeah, we can give you all of these strategies and tools, but if you are someone who's coming on the way out, then maybe the first question you say to yourself is, am I, I'll do what it takes to get out of here. Do you know, I'm sitting here listening to you guys and I'm just thinking to myself, there's another level, there's another question because you ask the right question, you're going to get to the answer. Mm. Dealing with the depression is almost like chasing the horse after it's bolted. So to try to address the actual depression issue, it's too late. It's, you're already in it. When you're, I think there's two things to, to, to explore here in that when you start going down the depths of depression, that's the opportunity to nail it, to get it, to pick it up, to, to listen to what the body's saying because it is a choice and you are choosing it. So the, 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 as soon as you can interrupt that pattern of choosing, you've saved yourself and then hold yourself responsible and accountable for choosing something different every day and it interrupts the pattern. But once a person's actually in the depths of depression or the grips of depression, the grips of depression it's a constantly recreated thought pattern so the question to ask is what's the payoff i'm getting Uh Hmm. instead of asking do i want to get out of this because the answer is always going to be no Mm. because the perceived uh, uh benefit of being out of depression or not experiencing depression is not as good as the payoff you're getting when you're in it so if you can realize that you're getting a payoff when you're in depression and the, the payoff is always something yuck, it's like I don't want to be responsible, I don't want to have to participate, I don't want to be accountable, I want attention, whatever, it's, it's, it's a yuck thing. I want to be right that the world is so wrong and I want to be right that I'm so bad and I don't deserve to be here. And you don't understand and you don't know what it's like. And- yeah, <laughs> well, ever there's that payoff happening, that is, that's the addiction and, pay, and, and depression Oh, this is going to get it's, it's going to go down a rabbit hole here that we have don't, don't have time for. Depression is like an it's an addiction. 
and we go in search of our addictive fix every morning when we choose in favour of that payoff. We choose in favour of, 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 of attention or we choose in favour of not participating or we choose in favour of being right. That's an addiction. So really speaking... Depression is an addiction. Depression is an addiction and, 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 and addiction is a choice. Yeah, you're addicted wow. to the payoff. And we treat the sadness, we treat the devastation, we treat the, 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 the disconnection. And I think that there is the disconnection from self. It's the, the perverted relationship with self is that we're thinking what we're dealing with is a sad person grieving or a sad person who's gone through trauma. Mm. We think we're dealing with that. But what we're actually dealing with is a person who's addicted to a payoff. Why did the why did we go in search of the payoff? Why did we go in search of getting attention, not participating, not be responsible? Why did we go in search of that in the first place? If we can nail that, we can nail depression with people. Mm-hmm. And we go in search of that addictive behavior, I believe, because we have lost connection with ourselves. We've lost ourselves and we've thought that getting attention from others, we've thought that not participating, we've thought that not being responsible would make us feel complete. But all it does is it has us have this very vague relationship with life and a very vague relationship with ourselves. If we can reconnect with the self, if we can be there for ourselves, if we can spend time with ourselves. The best thing I ever did when I was going through my worst part of my worst stages of depression was I took myself off to the Golden Door Health Retreat and I so didn't want to go. Because I so knew that I was going to come out the other side of that experience with solutions, tools, and answers, <laughs> and I didn't bloody well want to go. Mm. Mm. But I, you know, just as as as, as life would have it, I went. Yeah. So is it so, just as quick as it is to um, say have a traumatic experience, losing someone, shock, go through trauma, whatever it is? Is it just as as quick to come out of it as in? Um, no, it's I don't it's, think it's it is. I've seen what, what, yeah, what, what, it what takes ask, ages. No, but I'm going to say this to you. Matt said to Karen, mm. "You're doing this to yourself," and she had an aha. Mm. Jacob had me on the floor and went, "Mum, there's a massive diamond in the middle of a mountain, and you're just trying to get to it with nail clippers." It had me. It, I believe it is instant. It might not be the path to get out. It might be a process to get out of it. But there must be a moment that has you go from, I don't want to do this, I don't want to play, I want to stay here, I want to do that, into actually I do want to do something about it. There must be a trigger. I think it's. I, 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 I think a person's got to be ready to hear those things because when you're in the depths of despair and depression, you can't hear those things. I get that. But at some point you'll either hear it or you'll still not keep hearing it. There must be a moment that has you go, shite. Oh, I need to do this. You know, I was at the right time when Matt said, you're doing this to yourself. Yeah. And he may have said it, as you said, he may have been saying it for years and I just didn't hear it. Yeah. But there was definitely that time when he said that. Now, I don't, you know, when I look back on that now, I was at a point where I was looking at everybody around me getting bored with my story. I was watching the people at work not making allowances as often for me anymore. I was watching my family they were always there to support and listen to me, but I could hear on the other side of the phone great sighs and big, deep breaths. And then Matt said that to me, and it was at that point that I realised that the outside world wasn't giving me my fix anymore. <laughs> and it's when we realise that the people outside of us are not going to give us our fix of attention, not, not being responsible and making it okay, 
when the outside world stops doing it, it's at that point that we have to start to make a choice, which is why it's so important to support people. You do not enable depression. You don't match the energy. You don't run around making the world a better place for a depressed person. You just keep making your world an amazing place and don't feed the fix for the depressed person because the fix for the depressed person is what they're addicted to. Well, and I'll give you a classic example of this. My uh, dear girlfriend of ours lost her husband suddenly. He was 35 years of age, dropped dead. She had a one-year-old child and all of us around her in her support world you can imagine, we all had young babies, we're all newly married, we're all in our early 30s. It was shocking for all of us. For years, and my girlfriend was talking about this, the one that, let's just call her Mary, that lost her husband, um, Mary that lost her husband actually asked us all not to hold hands with our husbands in front of her. She actually said it made her feel sick and it made her feel really bad. And we all succumbed to it and Mm. went, oh, God, sorry, sorry, sorry. For 18 months, we all went around not being our authentic selves in order to support and protect her at the cost of some of our relationships ourselves. And that is the trap you can fall into. Well, can you see even her as an example there? Yeah. She's in desperate need of attention. Mm -hmm. So her, her, her drug became attention. So... When she got attention by you guys not doing that in front of her, you every time you saw her, you would go, oh, don't hold hands. Yeah. And then she would get her fix met. Yeah. That she was, um, you know, whatever was going on for her. But, I mean, ultimately it was about attention for her. Mm. And she got attention from all of you, which made her feel better. Mm. Because she wasn't making herself feel better. That's the perverted relationship with self. She was incapable. She wasn't incapable. We're all all capable. She was choosing not to make herself feel better. She was choosing not to be there for herself. She was choosing not to love herself and not to participate with herself. She was choosing not to take responsibility for herself. Therefore, she went and made it your responsibility to make her feel better. And while ever you guys Mm. did that, you enabled and perpetuated the problem. Exactly. That's so so fascinating. Isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And if we can and if we can get to the payoff, if we can get to what the fix is, we can solve it with or the person can solve it. Um but it's a harsh conversation to have with somebody who's depressed to say, well, what payoff are you getting out of this? What are you getting to escape? What are you getting to be right about by being depressed? And it's somebody who's gonna have to have the guts to have that conversation. Mm. Um you know, and and the t- and timing is everything because I will actually say this as a caveat on that there can be a time when a person is so disconnected from themselves that to have somebody come down hard on them in that respect is enough to push them over the edge. Mm. And I think that's the fine line you've got to be playing, and that's the but fine that's line you've got to take. But also not your responsibility. Well, it's not your responsibility. My suggestion for people who are supporting depressed people, if you don't want to have that conversation with them, just don't enable them. Start there. Don't enable the issue. Don't make it okay um, by feeding their addiction. Don't make it okay. I I think actually there is also another level um, that we haven't even spoken about. And, and the reason I'm, I'm, I know about this level is that I have a, a very close friend. I went through university with her. Her and I had children together. You know, we go on family holidays together. And she has everything. She has a beautiful life, four beautiful children, a loving husband, um, beautiful home, you know, everything. And she became depressed. And she looked at her physical. She looked at, at everything as far as, our health went, like looking at the physical body, the mental body. She was, she looked at everything. And one day, I, re- I remember um, 
talking to her. And one day I said, there's one thing you haven't really looked at and perhaps this is um, what the problem might be. But I want to just give you background before I tell you what I actually said to her, which just changed her life completely. So what had happened is I said, well, you've looked at the physical, you looked at the mental, but you've, you've not looked at the spiritual. Mm. Perhaps there's something that you need to learn by this. Perhaps you need to start looking at your spiritual life. And I told her about a book that I read by Dr. Brian Weiss, which was Many Lives, Many Masters. And the concept behind it, whether you believe it or not, but the concept behind it is that we do live many lives and each life um, we try and uh, we bring guides with us. We, we have... Um, we, we learn lessons, and if we don't learn it in one life, we're going to have to learn it in the other. But our main aim at the end of all this is to go back to source, back mm. to yeah. um, we are all connected, we are all one, um, we are all loving beings. And I said, you know, I, I suggest that you read this book. I suggest you, you get it out and you start to read it, which she did, you know, because she was really looking. She, mm. she was doing everything she could do, but she still had depression. And that was four or five years ago now, and her journey, it's the most beautiful journey to watch. Like I, I had lunch with her recently and we had an hour together. That's all. She was catching a plane and I was meeting up with her and we had an hour together. And I just said to her, I've, I've never met a more peaceful person who understands their journey in life and, their, and, and her relationship with her husband and her children has just been enhanced by her realising that it, hers was a spiritual journey. It wasn't about... You know, she was doing everything right, but in the end it was about why am I on this planet? What is the purpose of my life? Why do I need to be here? What is it that I need to do? So she started to ask different questions. And by asking these questions, she actually, you know, she got she got different answers. And it's beautiful to watch, like is to see her now out of that depression and forging a life that is changing people's lives. You know, she's just... She's just a mum at home. Mm. But by what she's learning and connecting with and changing, she's actually changing other people around her, and including me. Like I, mm. all I did was say to her, read this book. And from there she just, she took off. And now she meditates. So one of the things that she does do is, is she does a daily meditation. She does yoga because she feels like yoga stretches her mind and her body. She looks at what, you know, what, are the reasons for the things that are happening in her life. And, and instead of just seeing them as troublesome, she sees them as opportunities for change, like what you were saying. Mm. So I think that's another level that we need to look at. Well, I love, um, I love how you said, you know, our existence is ultimately to get back to source. Mm. And the way that I look at it, and, and this, you know, depression is a perverted relationship with self, is that the, in my, my view the self is source. The self is source, mm-hmm. getting back to ourselves, getting back to the source of who we are and what we are. And to me, you know, um, and this is just my frame of reference for it, to me my experience is spiritual. My life is spiritual because it is all about connectedness and love and participation with source. And when I'm functioning at that highest level that I'm capable of functioning at, then everything that I do beyond that or beneath that is my contribution to humanity on a, on a, you know, a, 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 on a, in, on a playing field where I'm interacting with other people. So I think it's so beautiful that in her search for source, she's found herself. Mm-hmm. And that's so true. 
Mm. I just think that that is so beautiful. And when, you know, and I think that that's, I think that's a big answer because depression is absolutely disconnection from self. It's it's the complete disconnection and then looking outside to have your addiction met. Mm. Go inside and meet your addiction because obviously the need is there for attention. The need is there to be responsible for yourself. The need is there to participate with yourself. But we go and get depression to try and get it met outside and it's yuck and it's it, it it's just it's just a really shitty way to live it just really is crap i loved what you said before karen what a you, shitty way to live yeah like <laughs> um, but you said it before even you know last night you said you were, you were sat there saying oh i'm really missing matt and then you looked at yourself on or looked in and went oh, i'm really missing me myself, yeah. and went and did a meditation so perhaps when we are in those states whatever it is you're missing or feeling i felt really alone yesterday i said i feel really alone and tears welled up in my eyes and then i looked out at the, the sunrise and went oh my gosh i'm so not alone be present with me and i think that's that's one of the most beautiful things i've learned from you in particular mm. is often what i'm complaining about or worried about is actually what's lacking in me Oh, well, you know what? It always is. That's always the answer. It's always the answer. So I think on that note, you know, this has been a quite a contemplative podcast and hopefully it's raised some questions. And if you've got anybody in your life that's been depressed or is depressed or irritable or cranky or, you know, whatever the case might be, you know, jump on our Facebook page and talk to us about it. You know, you are in the hands of people who are willing to explore and ask different questions. And I'm sure you guys already realize that. So to meet with us on Facebook, go to all the w's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat or jump onto the wellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. And, um, you know, make sure that when you're, you're posting your comments and you're interacting with us, you know, I just, we, we want you to know that you're in the hands of people who are avid researchers and prepared to ask different questions. We're also people who are experts in our field, but nothing that we say should ever be replaced for professional advice either. You know, you've really got to make sure that you've got all of your base covered, bases covered. Um, also, what we want to say is that if you do know anybody, and, and this has been my own personal experience, if you do know anybody who is on the brink of depression or experiencing suicidal depression, you know, for me, I found Lifeline was extraordinary. So always jump on and contact Lifeline because they'll always have new answers and new questions for you to ask as well. You know, there's lots of different sources of support for people who are depressed and who who have gone to, you know, a, a, a much darker place. So let us know your experiences. Jump online at Facebook. Go to the wellnesscouch.forward uh, forward slash up for a com. chat. <laughs> the wellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. Got it? Got it. <laughs> and join us next week right here. On the same, in the same place, same station, same time. Join us next week on Up for a Chat and be part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.